delighted to be joined by somebody who, since experiencing a spinal anaesthetic failing, became interested in patient safety and driving to achieve positive learning through collaboration with clinicians. Um, Susanna Stafford, thank you very much for joining us at the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh's inaugural Quality Governance Conference. And during your talk, you spoke about the importance of clinicians' non-technical skills, particularly an ability to take ownership of when things go wrong, to allow learning and ultimately to allow healing after negative experiences. Can you speak about your own experiences and how you've taken a clinical error and you've become a champion of non-clinical skills? So, uh, interestingly, because I didn't know about it, initially I thought maybe something had been done wrong from a technical perspective. But actually, technically, it's quite easy to see whether a block has been placed correctly. It's as close as you can get to placing a peg in a, in a hole. So what I came to understand was that it was actually a failure in, in non-technical skills, um, particularly when testing, which had allowed a block, a, an operation to go ahead. The error what came from communication failure and confirmation bias. The anaesthetist was very sure it was going to be working, so he was, he was almost looking to get the responses he wanted. Um, and then a massive failure in situational awareness in terms of he, he didn't manage to change his perception of what was happening in the face of information that didn't fit with what he was hoping, should have been hoping to see. Um, and really what that made me realise was that no matter how technically a proficient uh, a clinician of any description is, they cannot guarantee that they're going to deliver safe care unless they consciously develop their non-technical skills. And interestingly, it's quite hard to teach non-technical skills, and it's an area that possibly doesn't get enough attention in medical school and thereafter. Suppose for a lot of clinicians, there are targets that they're looking to meet. There are general objectives and policy objectives that they're working towards. So, and it, some of those frameworks are very much based on your technical skills have to be up to a certain standard. And that's, that's in some ways, a lot easier to measure than non-technical skills and, and absolutely but also it's it's plenty in itself right so when you're talking about somebody developing the skills to become a, a clinician they've got an awful lot to learn so it's it's something else on top and yet actually if there was better for example better communication training it would be giving people a skill set with which to be able to deal with situations as they come across them as opposed to perhaps floundering because they just they don't have a, a way or a way of being able to express something or to be able to talk to someone. So yeah, I think that that feeds into when you said that learning cannot be left to chance encounters, and when you wanted to highlight where things had gone wrong in your care, you said that there were no established routes for giving constructive feedback for a patient to feedback on the system. How much progress? or change do you feel has been over the past few years? Because you've been on this journey for eight years now. Yeah, so I think there has been progress. Um, I think it remains incredibly difficult. Care is an emotive issue for patients, which means that it's quite difficult for patients to explain what's happening without potentially having a lot of emotion involved too. And then responding to emotion is also very difficult for clinicians. Um, it, it makes clinicians are working in a very challenging environment to start off with and I think quite a lot of the time they're very aware of where they're not able to deliver care as they would want to whether it's because of lack of facilities or lack of staff 
So they're actually very aware of where things might not be going as well as they would like. And they're, I think, very quick to go on the defence. And I do, I really understand that. But it actually goes back to the non-technical skills issue. Because if they're not taught to communicate and to respond to patients, you know, how to have the skills to be able to respond to a patient who is upset, and that may come out as being absolutely fury and anger, or it may come out as being you know, floods of tears. But actually, clinicians need a bit of help in learning how to diffuse those situations. Absolutely. In your own particular experience, you, you said that you've never seen the notes from one of the clinicians who was key in the care that you were you were delivered. How do you feel about efforts that are being made to increase patients' access to records and any notes made by health professionals about them? And you spoke very well about white coat syndrome, or what is sometimes called white coat syndrome, um, where patients can give themselves up totally and utterly to the skills of a clinician, which means that they then might not question situations that may be making them, may be making them feel uncomfortable or they don't even pick up that something is wrong because they think, no, no, this is what doctor knows best. They're obviously in charge of the situation. They know what's going on. When you are a patient, it doesn't matter what your life is like outside, but when you go into a hospital, you, you hand yourself over. You have to trust that people are going to do a good job because otherwise you couldn't trust anyone to even start to operate on you. And I think that process of handing yourself over so completely is incredibly disempowering. Um, I think with, when you're talking about clinicians' notes and patients being able to have access to them, it's very interesting because as a patient, when you see a medic, you go in to receive information. You, you go in to listen, and, and actually you're being given information in a vacuum. You don't have the skills or the expertise to, to know, so you're being given a lot of information. And as a result, you listen, and you listen intently. But that makes it very difficult while you're assimilating stuff to actually be able to think of the questions that you might want to ask. So that's one way in which I think that having the notes available may prove to be very, very useful. Um, I do recognise that that puts yet more pressure on clinicians because at the back of every clinician's mind is going to be the thought that whatever they write down may be looked at and scrutinised by someone else. Um, and so you know, that adds a level of pressure. And there are certain things that you need to be very careful about. You know, for example, if somebody's got a finite prognosis, they certainly don't want them to ever learn that from seeing it in their notes if it hasn't been discussed with them first. Yes, because that's a patient's choice as to whether they, they know that or not. It yeah. is, and, and also you know, certainly they should have the opportunity to have had that conversation with palliative care people who know how to have that conversation. So there, it's not without difficulty, but I do think that potentially it could help patients in the long term. Well, Suzanne Stanford, thank you very much indeed for joining us.